Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another week, another Monday evening, where we are set to continue our exploration into the book of Genesis. We are in chapter 47. This is program number 83. (laughs) Before I came on air here, I actually counted the the programs and the podcast, so if you're listening to this by way of podcast, podcast number 83. So we have been at this, oh, for about 10 months now, just going through the book of Genesis verse by verse. And I've had people join this program, join this podcast along the way, and they've asked me what I should do to prepare. Well, I guess just go back to program number one, (laughs) really. The benefit we have with the podcast is they are archived, so if you go to joholcraft.org, just hit the uh, Listen Now link there, and you can go to the first episode and just kind of follow along. Um, The real nice thing about podcasts is you can listen to them in your car, at home, on a run, uh, whatever suits your fancy, but to our benefit, again, uh, it's a way of catching up, so... If you do want to catch up, go to my website and you can do so. I mean, we are in chapter 47. This is program number 83, but I had someone come up to me a couple weeks ago, and this is why it's on my mind. Hey, Joe, it was like your 78th, 79th podcast. What can I do to catch up? So there you have it. Just go ahead and and go to my website. So we have been going through this book, right, verse by verse, and I do so with commentaries, books, my own personal reflections coming out of prayer, and hopefully we have been able to get at what we've needed to get at, which is essentially to see how God has worked in salvation history. And at the same time, to be reminded that as He works in salvation history, He's engaging man, He's encountering man. We must remember, my friends, that history is not just some random chronological series of events, but rather an event of freedom, an event of man. So as we look into salvation history, right, we look at how God has encountered man through the ages and how man has responded back to God. And what we've learned, hopefully, if we've learned anything, is that how God interacted with man so long ago isn't so different than how He interacts with us today. Of course, we have the grace uh, purchased for us by way of the cross, But even as I say that, as we've been hammering home now week after week and month after month, (laughs) if there's anything we can draw from this whole narrative that is the book of Genesis, is that human nature is human nature. And so when you go inside some of these conversations between God and Adam and Eve, and and God and Cain and Abel, and, and God and Noah, and God and Sarah, and God and so on and so forth, you see that how man responds isn't so different than how we might respond to a situation today. So in that vein, I think this study has been invaluable to us. All right, before we jump back into chapter 47, and I think I'm going to read verses 7 to 12 to get us started, I did also want to just continue to welcome all of you who are listening by way of podcast, certainly here in the state of California, but also, and I'm looking at my grid here, 
um, in the states of Iowa, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Texas, Florida, along the East Coast, New Jersey, New York, uh, Maine, I see uh, Utah, Montana, Washington, Oregon. I welcome all of you. And in those countries, Canada, Portugal, Spain, France, Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Ukraine, I just, again, warmly welcome all of you into the friendly confines of this simple radio station here in Chico, California. All right, with that, do turn your Bibles to chapter 47. And as I just noted, we will start with verses 7 to 12. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life and my father's and the days of their sojourning. Wow, that is fascinating what Jacob just said, and we're going to really get into that. Verse 10, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph had provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. All right, so <laughs> the time came for Joseph to present his father to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's graciousness to Jacob here no doubt reveals his respect for this aged man as well as his regard, as we've been talking about, for Joseph. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read this, and maybe I should better say in my most recent reading of this, it did seem strange, and I'm not the only one to think this, other commentaries highlight this, that Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Right? That Jacob blessed Pharaoh. This Israelite king blessed a Pharaoh. But as I say that, my friends, we should remember that the Abrahamic covenant did contain the promise that Abraham and his offspring would be a blessing to all those who blessed them. Now, what were those words uttered to Abraham all the way back in the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, those verses that started this whole epic right, of the patriarchal age? And I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Yeah, I mean, typically we read that verse in those first three verses in chapter 12, and we think about Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, where Matthew is compelled to talk about Jesus just not only as the son of Abraham, but also as the son of David. Certainly, <laughs> this verse is very important to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. But could we not also say that this is what we see taking place in chapter 47. You see, Pharaoh had greatly exalted Joseph and blessed him. Now he is extending that blessing to all of Joseph's family. And what does Jacob do but responds by pronouncing a blessing upon Pharaoh? And indeed, Pharaoh was blessed by Israel. I mean, Joseph had virtually saved his kingdom. And as we will read here in a little bit, he will obtain possession of almost all of Egypt's wealth. Certainly, the presence of Israel in Egypt was a blessing to this emerging nation 
but it also greatly blessed the Egyptians. Indeed, again, the Abrahamic covenant is finding, we could say, a quasi-fulfillment in this sojourning. Now, I suppose maybe, if you're anything like me, the most surprising feature of Jacob's interview with Pharaoh is Jacob's appraisal of his own life up to this point. I said we would go back to verse 9. Let us read this again. The years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. My friends, if you were to take a step back, this does not fit the contemporary concept of a good testimony. I mean, in essence, Jacob has told Pharaoh that his life has been nothing but very short and very sour, although he has lived 130 years. And yet, if you were to take stock into what Jacob said, it's true. I mean, think about it, my friends. He lived in a home where the parents were divided in their affection for their children, right? He gained the blessing of his father by deception, and then was alienated from his family because of the hatred of Esau. He spent years in exile, serving his deceitful uncle Laban. He sought one wife and ended up with four. And the outcome of this was what? But (laughs) continual competition and strife. He suffered the loss of the purity of his daughter Dinah at Shechem and ultimately feared the reprisal of Canaanite kinsmen when his sons killed the men of the city and took the women and I should say children, and cattle as booty. Rachel, his most beloved wife, died prematurely along the way to Bethlehem. His oldest son lay with one of his concubines, and his favorite son was tragically lost and presumed dead. Finally, we have this famine, which threatened the existence of his family, and from Jacob's vantage point then, the second in command to Pharaoh appears to be taking his youngest son away. So, (laughs) when Jacob looks back on his life, there is a reason why he is a little sour about it. Now, in saying that, there was, and we've touched upon this before, a significant difference between the suffering which Jacob was alluding to and, of course, that which Joseph endured. Joseph's suffering was undeserved. Jacob's, not so much. Jacob suffered virtually every painful experience because of his willfulness and foolish choices. He deceived his brother. He chose to live near Shechem rather than to go up to Bethel. He unwisely showed preference for Joseph. You see, the suffering which Joseph experienced was for the most part brought upon himself. Jacob did not see the hand of God in his adversity, but Joseph did. Jacob became more fearful and protective, while Joseph was forgiving and eager to serve others, even at his own expense. In his adversity, Joseph grew closer to God, while Jacob seemed to drift farther and farther and farther away. In this interview with Pharaoh, all of these Bitter experiences were probably coming into focus, if you will. Now, when you read these verses, his fortunes have changed. And to some degree, we should say that uh, 
this could be, and I think is, the great turning point in Jacob's life. Just as his sons had to come to the place where they acknowledged their sins and turned from their wicked ways, so Jacob seems to do here in these verses as he has a change of heart. This place where he saw all of his sorrow as the result of his sin. But now he sees a new beginning. He sees his life in light of the light, the true light. The things which Jacob tried to withhold and protect, Rachel, Joseph, Benjamin, were the very things that were taken from him. And incidentally, my friends, take note that it was only by giving up Benjamin that he gained him. And in giving up Benjamin, he preserved not only Benjamin's life, but that of the entire nation. But that of the entire nation. What do I mean there? Well, let's read chapter 47, verse 13. Now there was no food in all the lands, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your cattle, and I will give you food in exchange for your cattle, if your money is gone. So they brought their cattle to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. And he supplied them with food in exchange for all their cattle that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent, and the herds of cattle are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be slaves to Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe upon them. The land became Pharaoh's, and as for the people, he made slaves of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field and as food for yourselves and your households and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be slaves to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied exceedingly and multiplied exceedingly. All right, let us pause here 
several things of note. First, that again, Joseph is hailed as a savior. I mean, my friends, time and time again, does this man set himself to be the prototype par excellence to that of Christ? Remember what we have said about typology in the past. Typology is the study of what? Persons, places, things that foreshadow Christ as you apply this in relationship between the Old and New Testament. But more specifically, that word type, as it comes to us in sacred scripture from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 and following, in the Greek, typus translates as pattern, pattern, or maybe even better said, impression, the pattern that can be seen because of an impression. Well, my friends, in the Old Testament, dare I say, upon the Old Testament canvas has been left an impression, an impression of Christ, where we see time and time and time again, person after person after person, God revealing to us in these kind of shadowy symbols, Christ. And of course, in this case, Joseph, a man who provides in man's desolation sustenance. Okay, now, second, as it relates to verse 27, we have the first time in sacred scripture where the new name given to Jacob becomes the national name born by the covenant family descended from him. Remember, Jacob's name turned to Israel post-battle with the nameless angel back in chapter 32. Now we have for the first time this name becoming synonymous with this great nation. And certainly this is very relevant because as we get into Exodus, we see God entering into this covenant relationship with man who has become a what? Just not family or tribe, but nation. And the great sign to this covenant is but the Passover lamb, which of course is another partial fulfillment to just not Genesis chapter 12 that we've already talked about, but also ultimately that which points to Jesus Christ as the new Passover lamb. So you see, my friends, the deeper we go into the book of Genesis, do we not only see this kind of golden thread that carries it, in relationship to how God enters into a covenant relationship with man, but also how it continues to prefigure what Christ came to just not fulfill, but at once transform in himself as the Lamb of God. So very, very rich stuff. Now, what about these verses? Well, in these verses, we read that Israel indeed <laughs> prospered in spite of the famine and the poverty which Egypt experienced, right? Now, it may not be too much to say that the Israelites prospered at Egypt's expense. Um, for example, I mean, if we were to really look at it, the land they acquired was probably purchased at a good price from an Egyptian farmer who, I don't know, knew he would lose his land anyway, right? Or maybe the cattle that were obtained were possibly purchased from a farmer who would have otherwise watched them starve to death. I mean, we could say that the, the prosperity of Israel here at this time was at the cost of the Egyptians. And what's more, if you want to follow this closely, and as we're talking about salvation history and, and this as a narrative, this very much, my friends, paved the way for what? But the great Egyptian persecution, right? I mean, recall some of those opening verses in the book of Exodus. 
In fact, why don't we turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 1, and why don't you go down to verse 6. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply in the event of war they also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So what do they do? What do we read? They appointed taskmasters, taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. And so begins the great persecution as they build storage cities and the great Python and Ramses for Pharaoh. So <laughs> what is going on here in these verses if we are going to understand this historically, is very much linked to what we read in those opening verses in the, the book of Exodus. All right, so my friends, I want to hit the pause button here with the remainder of our time and just consider, I think, the principle of freedom and, and what comes out from that. Because from these verses that describe the prosperity of Pharaoh and the people of God, several principles which help us to more precisely define the relationship between prosperity, maybe, and poverty, and political freedom, I dare say, are brought into focus. What do I mean? Well, freedom itself is a privilege, not a right. I think Americans, due to our heritage as a free people, are inclined to look upon freedom as a right rather than a privilege. But history reminds us that most of the people who have ever lived have not had the privilege of freedom that we know today. And maybe this is part of the problem, that we no longer know our history. I mean, for every generation that has lost their sense of history is a generation that very well may lose their way. Why? Because, my friends, as I've already touched upon it, history as an event of man is an event of freedom. Right? So if you're going to best understand history... You have to then understand freedom. And what we read about in the history books is nothing but a tale of man's moral decision-making, for better or worse. So my friends, if we don't know our history, then we haven't learned the lessons that man has learned in the past. And this is the great value of history. Mindful that history does not spring forth from non-event. History is reality. History is real. Therefore, freedom and that principle of freedom as it relates to, to a privilege and right is very important to understand. And that freedom is just not some license to do whatever we want to do, but a gift given to us, entrusted to us, so as to discover what we ought to do, right? I've explored this principle with you before. I've given the analogy of my son, my son who has now been playing the piano for over nine years, right? over nine years. If I were to ask you when my son was four years old, is he free to play the piano? I suppose some of you might say, yeah, sure, he's free to walk over to the, to the piano and strike the keys. And on one level, yeah, he has that freedom to do that. But I would propose the question to you a second time. Is he really free to play the piano? What do I mean? Well, fast forward nine years, and 
He can now read music. And let me tell you, my friends, can my son play the piano? He is amazing at the age of 13. Why? Because he was obedient to the rules and to the template into how to play the piano, you see. Now, because he knows how to play the piano, is he free to play the piano? To play the piano as it was intended to be played? So we can talk about freedom all day as it relates to the license to do whatever we want. But the outgrowth, the byproduct of that is going to be chaos and noise. Rather, if you aspire to freedom as a gift given to you so as to do what you ought to do in light of something that has been revealed to you, something outside of you, not just whatever you want to do, but no, obedient to what has been revealed to you. Just like my son was obedient to the rules and, and laws and to how to play the piano. Brothers and sisters, God has revealed himself to us. And when we are obedient to that loving law of how to be a better Christian, we will be more free to love, not according to how I think I need to love, but now how I ought to love, based upon the love revealed on the cross. Again, I go back <laughs> to this principle of freedom within the context of privilege and right. Our freedom is a privilege, right? A gift given to us. And once we see it as such, then we ought to take stock into <laughs> the one who has given it to us, God himself. Rights are taken for granted because we assume that they cannot be taken away, and, and ultimately, it is then that privileges can and will be lost. We will never lose our free will, but on the level of citizenship and our freedom therein, we ought to pay close attention to this. Certainly, as Americans and American Christians, we should be really taking stock in this right now. All right, as always, my friends, if you have any questions, comments, thoughts, observations to anything we talk about here on Seeds of Truth, please do not hesitate to send me an email. Just go to joeholcraft.org, or you can go to jholejmj at yahoo.com and send your message on its way. All right, let's close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, never shall be, world without end, amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 530 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.